Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com's Ryan Wallace. Welcome to GoPowerCat.com for a special edition of the PowerCat Podcast, our Sources Podcast. Um, we didn't get a chance to do a full-on recruiting podcast for early signing day, but have no fear, this is it. This is the one that you all have been calling for, and I am pleased to be joined by Kevin Flaherty, a counterpart at 24-7 Sports. Uh, Kevin, first off, uh, we'll bring you in here, and I mean, I, I guess technically you're a national college basketball writer for 24-7, but I got to be honest, for those maybe outside the loop, um, who don't follow you on Twitter, you should, because he's got uh, a very good handle on the pulse of Kansas high school football recruiting. So I know that you're excited to, to talk not only about K-State's class a little bit, but also uh, just about the, the prospects in Kansas for 2021 and 2022. Yeah, yeah, I uh, came up in the state and, and then, you know, started off at uh, – at uh, the Paola paper and then went to the the morning sun in Pittsburgh. So, you know, got to see quite a bit of high school football through all of that uh, covered, uh, covered Kansas for, for fog.net during that time too, and covered a lot of football recruiting and then went down, covered Texas for a little while and, and came back and, and you know, Ryan, we really had a chance to, uh, to get out and see a lot of these guys in, in person. When you look at the top guys in the state and, and kind of the circumstances that we face this year in terms of not having, you know, maybe as many combines or, or as many games in some cases or chances to, to get out, I really feel like we actually did a pretty good job of, of crisscrossing the state and seeing these guys. Absolutely. And one thing that I wanted to, to touch on real quick, just kind of as an overarching topic before we dive in specifically to 2021 and 2022 is, you know, you mentioned covering Texas recruiting, you know, in the back in the Mac Brown days, um, the heydays of Texas football, really. Sure. And um, how far do you feel like since, you know, you first started covering Kansas football and playing Kansas high school football yourself? Yeah, um, not well, though. Not well. <laughs> uh, but how far is, has just the scope of Kansas football and that landscape of recruiting comes since, you know, you first started covering to, you know, having covered a state like Texas, you know, and we know the, the rich talent that it provides. It seems like Kansas has really seen a surge as far as the level of, of play um, that it's producing. It, it's, it's totally changed, Ryan. And from where it was in say 2005, 2006-ish, you know, when I really started getting into it, maybe even, you know, a class or two before that, you know, you would look at the state and there would maybe be 10 Division One guys that we would know about. And out of those guys, you know, you were looking at even, you know, further limitations in terms of who is capable of playing at Kansas or Kansas State right out of high school. You know, obviously that number got bigger once guys spent time in junior college and and you saw those guys develop. Honestly, I, I think that it's more than double that now. I, I think in an average class now, you have 10 to 14 guys that you could legitimately argue are, are Kansas or Kansas State type guys in, in a lot of these classes. And, you know, you you look at that group and, and then you say, well, on top of that, you know, there's what, maybe another, you know, five, ten or so guys that – that are legitimately division one type guys. Not all of them wind up going uh, FBS. And, and in this year's class in particular, I know Ryan, there were some guys that maybe we felt like locally were, 
were those kinds of guys who didn't get a chance to impress upon yep. college coaches in person or, or whatever else. But the scope of it, it has totally changed in, in terms of the number of kids, the number of kids we see. Uh, and I think that, you know, the combine party is a big part of it. Obviously, you know, the widespread use of, of huddle and things like that, instead of looking across, you know, grainy YouTube tapes, where in some cases you weren't <laughs> even sure who you were supposed to even be looking at. But I do think that there are more kids now that you can evaluate across the state and say, hey, this is this is a Kansas guy. This is a Kansas State guy. This is a regional guy who, you know, could have Nebraska, Oklahoma offering. And and further, you know, down the line, the, the guys who are going to be MAC guys or, or maybe lower-level FBI. Yes, guys. Well, let's jump into uh, the Kansas State 2021 signing class, at least so far, um, that, that took place back on Wednesday. And, and like I said, we'll touch a little bit more just on the Sunflower State in general, particularly with 2022 rankings um, here coming up a little bit later. But, um, Kevin, as far as just the, the 2021 class that K-State has signed thus far, um, what impresses you off the cuff uh, about what the Wildcats were able to do? Um, for me, as you and I have talked about um, leading up to signing day and, and even in the hours since signing day, for me, I, it's the versatility of this class and the flexibility. Um, there are so many non-positional type players that I feel like Chris Kleiman got that I, I don't know if that was intended or just kind of an added bonus for the coaching staff. But I mean, you go down this list and, you know, Marvin Martin is a guy that I feel like could play anything from nickel safety linebacker. Um, Braden Wood is a defensive tackle at heart, but I mean, depending on, um, you know, if he's part of the, the, the quote jet package that, that the third down package, you know, you, he could swing inside or outside. Darrell Jones is a guy that, uh, maybe could play some nickel. You know, we saw him this year playing almost kind of like a pseudo outside linebacker at the high school level. Sure. Um, maybe he could play nickel, cornerback, receiver, returner. Um, you know, you go down the line, Gavin Hazelhorst is a guy, and we'll talk about him, I'm sure, plenty in this podcast. Uh, Devin Weathers was a guy that, that they thought might play defense and cornerback safety. Now he's going to play running back. Um, even a guy like Andrew Langang, who – I think most people just view him as an offensive tackle or an offensive lineman, but I mean, he can literally play all five spots on the offensive line. So again, in a year like COVID where depth became so important, the options that Kansas state will have being able to rotate guys, you play a little bit here, practice a little bit here so that in games you have that flexibility. I just think that's huge for, for the class that K-State signed so far. Sure. And a guy like Crew Jackson as well. Yeah. I mean, I have no idea what that kid is going to be with with that frame. You know, he, he's more of, you know, we've talked about Isaiah Simmons in, in the past being a guy that it didn't really matter what you thought he was going to play. Just lock him in your weight room for a couple of years and mm -hmm. see what happens. And, and I think Crew Jackson is that type of guy where you don't even necessarily go in thinking, okay, this guy's a safety. He's an outside linebacker. He's an edge guy. See what he eats himself. <laughs> into eats and lifts himself into <laughs> the, the the other thing you know the two things that that I like to look at in particular because we found that when teams basically when they do well nationally they've recruited really well at, at these two spots and, and I think it's quarterback and, and pass rush uh, you know quarterback and getting to the quarterback basically and and, and Kansas State landed its guy and Jake Rubley I know you know, Ryan, you and I have talked about him and him in comparison to, to what Kansas State already has on campus, you know, with with a guy like Will Howard. I think Will Howard's a little more gifted physically, a little more arm strength. But the thing that really impresses you with, with Jake Rubley on tape is the level of polish that he displays. You know, he's he's looking off defenders. He's going through his reads. He's doing things that you would expect maybe a college sophomore or college junior to do when you're seeing him on his high school tape. And so for Kansas State to, to get that type of guy, and obviously there are a few coaches, you know, kind of at – at this point in America where you're not recruiting the number one or number two guy, 
you know, in the entire class that you would trust more with quarterback evaluations and the, than the guys that K-State have. And the other thing is pass rush. And, and you know, I, I like Ozzie Hoffler a lot. I think that, uh, and again, we're going to, we're going to talk about this a little more. I think Gavin uh, Hazelhorst, eventually winds up being a pass rusher as well you know crew jackson again is somebody that could wind up being that guy you talked about Braden wood being somebody that can you know can maybe rush the passer from multiple spots depending on the package and things like that and so in a smaller class you know to go out and get your quarterback and get a few guys that can get after the get after the quarterback i think kansas state really uh, really did its due diligence and came out well there well, it's let's transition to the two, two of the players that that I think twenty four seven in particular, when you look past the composite rankings, feel were kind of the two gems of this class for K State, and one on defense and Gavin Hazelhorst, who uh, our our national analysts love him. I mean, the experts at twenty four seven just think the world of this kid. And then on, on offense, it's obviously Jake Rubley. Let's start with Rubley since you touched on him for a minute. Um, I, he's he's going to be interesting to see compete with Will Howard. From the simple standpoint of what you said, where Jake seems to be a little bit further along in his IQ than maybe Will showed on tape. But as you and I were talking about, uh, you know, leading up to signing day, it's almost to me like I was more taken by Will Howard's film than I was Jake Rubley's film. And I realized Jake Rubley only got, you know, three or four games in uh, with West Des Moines Valley this year before the Iowa High School Activities Association stepped in and say, oh, wait a second, on second thought, uh, you know, we're going to rule you ineligible. Um, how much of that plays into things um, and how much, you know, Will Howard's not having kind of a full year of preparation under his belt because of COVID plays into things is, is kind of a, uh, kind of another topic in, in and of itself, because on, on one hand, I think normally you would say, well, Will will be farther along than Jake will be because he would have had a full off season since he arrived last January, full off season played much of this season and now he'll, you know, kind of have a full year's work under his belt. Well, he got the game experience under his belt, but he's still, you know, he's not quite as far along as we saw in the game um, that maybe you would have preferred him to be as a freshman. Now Jake sure. Rubley comes in and, and from an IQ standpoint, might even e meet him kind of on a more equal level than we thought. But as I said, Kevin, what makes this so kind of, Interesting to me is that I was so taken by Will Howard's film and he just didn't really put it on tape uh, for, for his freshman year at K-State. Um, but I'm not as taken by Jake Rubley on film, but he's a little bit further along in the area that Will seemed to struggle, which was the speed of the game and just identifying things. So uh, ideally I would have said this won't be as close of a battle as people want to make it. But I'm starting to wonder if maybe this will be a little bit bigger of a competition than I initially thought. You know, it's it's funny because after last season uh, and the issues that TCU had with Max Duggan playing as a true freshman, I, I think you and I were talking about it and I said – you know, Max Duggan, maybe more than any other player in the country, if you put together a highlight tape of just his great throws and left out all the bad stuff, you know, somebody would look at that and say, oh, my gosh, this is a first-round pick, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Because he put those throws on tape, and they weren't there consistently for him. And he turned the ball over, and he made bad decisions. But if you just took the good and you just took, okay, here's Max Duggan on a third and 18, you know, just rearing back and putting this ball absolutely on a guy, and that was all you saw, you would have said, okay, this, this guy's a first-round pick. And I think you can see some similarities there between him and Will Howard and that some of the throws that Will Howard made, his first completion at Kansas State, goodness. Yeah. I mean, the, the way that he pinched that in. And then, you know, you think about the the touchdown pass, you know, to Deuce Vaughn against West Virginia where he, he kind of put that between two defenders – 
I, I don't know that other Big 12 quarterbacks would or should even attempt that throw. And, and so, you know, if you made like a highlight tape and just said, you know what, this is, this is going to be a pump-up tape. We're going to show Will Howard. It's just his best plays. You would come away thinking, oh, my gosh, this, this guy is the quarterback of the future. He's the guy. The problem is, is that you can't take all that other stuff out. You can't take the bad decisions or when he didn't ride the underneath guy and threw, you know, the big interceptions against Texas that were kind of backbreaking, you know, when, when they happened. The, you know, and some of the decisions are, or even some of the indecision, you know, when you looked at it and you said, hey, here's this guy right here. This is where the ball needs to go. And he's looking at him and you can see that the confidence just wasn't quite there to turn that ball loose the way that it was. And so I a hundred percent agree with you. I loved Will Howard's high school tape. I mean, it was, you know, at least once or twice a game, he would make a throw where you would say, Oh my gosh, that's, that's an NFL throw right there. Mm-hmm. And so I think that on a highlight tape standpoint, He's going to come ahead. Uh, he, he's going to come out looking better than Jake Rubley would. Right. At the same time, you know, we, as we've seen a, a number of times, there are guys that put together great highlight tapes and maybe aren't quite as good, you know, <laughs> as actualized players. And I think that Jake Rubley is fairly actualized. Like if you look at his highlight tape and you look at his game tape, it's, there's not that much difference because he's still doing things in terms of checking plays, in terms of manipulating the coverage with his eyes. You know, even little things that you don't think about, like you see a throw and you're like, man, that that wasn't a great throw, but he's got a guy open and he makes sure that he puts it where the guy can catch it. You know, he doesn't put it 10 yards over his head. Yeah. And so maybe he didn't turn it loose and it didn't look, you know, like the best possible throw. And yet you say, well, okay, here's a guy who knows he has a 20 yard completion and takes the 20 yard completion. You know, he's not trying to miss that guy. And so I think that that could make this competition really interesting in terms of how quickly he picks up the system, because I I think that he's advanced in, in some of those ways that maybe Will Howard wasn't coming in. And then even beyond that, and I, I think this, you know, kind of goes to the point of what you were talking about. I think that some of it is ahead of what we even saw from Will Howard later in the season with game experience under his belt. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's why this off season is, is going to be so telling and I don't really know who it favors more. It, you know, does not having a typical off season, at least as we sit here today, it doesn't look like it will be a typical kind of spring football calendar. Does that help Jake Rubley a little bit? Does that help Will Howard stay maybe a little bit ahead of Jake Rubley that he won't be able to, you know, get that spring practice competition kind of under his belt? Um, I don't know, but I I do agree. It kind of comes down to, you know, Will Howard seems to do a little bit more of the physical things a little bit better, but I also hearken back to uh, something that we did with Jesse Ertz on signing day last year, where we had former Wildcats that played the positions of, Um, some of the best guys coming in from that 2020 class kind of break down film. And one of the things Jesse Ertz talked about with Will Howard was that he kind of has a tendency to lock in on a favorite route or a favorite receiver. You don't see that with Jake Rubley. Um, And that's kind of the the things that you and I are talking about just with his, with his IQ and, and everything else. So that obviously is going to be a position to watch regardless of whether Skylar Thompson comes back or not, because with Nick Ost out of the picture, you got to have a backup. Will it be Rubley? Will it be Howard? Time will tell. Now, moving to the other player that, that I kind of teased up front as being very highly regarded, uh, according to our 24-7 analyst, and that's Gavin Hazelhorst. And we got a chance to see Gavin run anyway. Couldn't, couldn't get a chance to see him do a whole lot else at the Sharp Combine in Salina. And, I mean, right after that, K-State jumps on the offer. Really liked how he tested um, – saw some of those videos that obviously kind of went viral around the state of just how much he can lift. We all know how strong he is. Um, But let me start off by saying this, Kevin, and it'll kind of be um, the first of of maybe one or two things that we'll touch on with this K-State class where I might come off a, a little bit critical, you know, but I, 
Gab, the idea of Gavin Hazelhorst as a linebacker in a predominant nickel base defense is not something that I have a lot of confidence in. I have a lot of confidence in Gavin Hazelhorst being able to become a productive football player at K-State. That's not the issue. The issue is on tape and even Zach Carlson and, and some others that I've talked to that have been able to see Gavin play in person. He's a North South guy. He is a bull rushing power, just brute strength, uh, bull rusher, if you will, um, that I kind of compare to like an Adam Davis, a former Wildcat on the last Big 12 title team that K-State had, that I think would make a bigger dif difference as a defensive end than a linebacker. Um, we'll start there. What say you, Kevin? I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think Hazelhorst, I, I see where you can get inside linebacker based on on the build i mean he's a fire hydrant right i mm -hmm. mean he's he's 6'1 230 and if you see him he's not going to get to be you know what you would ideally like your defensive end to be from a weight standpoint and have it still be good weight having said that i don't think it matters because of his strength level because of the pad level that he plays with and he is a special athlete moving forward, right? I mean, when you when you look at the 40 time, the four, five, six that he ran, yes, it was handheld. You look at the vertical, the 34 inches, you look at the bench press, and you know, this guy basically, you know, looks like he walks around, you know, dragging trucks behind him. <laughs> I mean, he I mean, he's the type of guy that I think when you see all of that up close and in person. You, you kind of think about him as a linebacker, you know, dropping back or needing to diagnose something before, and you just say, this guy is so special going forward. Why would you make him go back? You know, why, why would you make him turn and run? Why would you make him, you know, do things that, that aren't within that wheelhouse? Because I don't think he's as good an athlete laterally as he is from a straightforward standpoint. And he's terrific from a straightforward standpoint. I mean, he's got the speed to get by somebody on the edge. And the worst part about it, as somebody who tries to block him, and I know, Ryan, you can attest to this, he's got Mike Tyson hands. I mean, yeah. he, he, he can get going downhill and then sort of stop and pop that hand up. And with one hand, he can put an offensive tackle on his backside. I, it, he is one of the more intriguing players in this class for me, um, not, just, not just purely for, you know, how his career will turn out, but just how long he lasts at, at linebacker and how quickly – um, you know, they can either develop him there or how quickly the staff goes, you know what, let's just get you back to, to what you're good at. And that's just see ball, get ball kind of stuff and not force him to be an East West guy, make him be a North South guy. Cause like you said, it, it's not just the 40 time that was so impressive when we saw him run past, literally run past us in Salina. It was like the, the way that he runs. I mean, his technique was smooth. What he did in the first 10 yards was incredible, let alone what he was doing, you know, for the full 40. So um, that, that kind of segues me into this next part about this class. And it's one that, you know, whether you're at K-State, KU, Alabama, everybody always wants to know, well, what's kind of your overall thoughts on the class? And up front, I said that I love the flexibility, love the versatility of this class. And I do think, much like we saw from the group that Chris Kleiman signed in 2020, it's high on upside. I mean, there's a, there's a big ceiling for the majority of this group if they develop the way that we think they could or that they will. And that's kind of where you and I were talking about. And credit to you, I think sometimes I get a little overly critical because I'm looking at this class from start to finish and – really fine, you know, taking a fine uh, tooth comb through it and debating on whether this is a class that is of an A grade right now or kind of a B grade. And I fall more in the B grade only because I like the, the staple that you get in Jake Rubley. 
I'm very high on kind of a sleeper kid in RJ Garcia that I think can come in and maybe make a quicker impact than his uh, recruiting ranking and, and some of his offers would kind of dictate still needs to put on some weight, but I think he's a natural receiver that this group needs. And I'm really high on Austin Weiner and, and love, love Andrew Langang. But after that, things get a little dicey for me. I'm not sure what to make of Darrell Jones. He's a very, very raw cornerback that is unbelievably fast, um, but is behind technically. Uh, I don't know what to make of Brennan Hawkins, who has all the size gifts, but, you know, really didn't have much of a senior season due to injury. Um, is he more than a one-trick pony? Is Devin Weathers, who puts a lot on tape, but when I saw him in person, you know, is he a really gifted running back or is he a really gifted high school running back? You know, can he, uh, can he really be kind of the power guy that K-State wants him to be? What is Crew Jackson? What is Marvin Martin? You know, to me, Kevin, and this is where I'll turn it over to you, I don't want to be overly critiquey, if that's a word, of, of a group that carries the highest average per signee rating in the 24-7 sports era that could finish top 50 nationally for the first time since 2014. But there is a lot of there are a lot of projects in this class for a program that I think maybe could have used some more immediate impact in certain areas. You know, one of the, Ryan, one of the assistant coaches that, that I talked to from the Mangino era uh, at Kansas, one of the things that, that he had said kind of as a, as a going out thing, you know, when, when they finished up and, and, you know, they were, they were out the door. One of the things that, that he had said that looking back, he wished that they would have done more was bet on traits. You know, they, they obviously had a lot of success there uh, for, for a couple of years, you know, they were around 500. I, I think for most of the time there had the year in 07 with the orange bowl, had the year in 08 where they won another eight games. Um, and, and then after the next year where they had a losing record, they were out and, and you know, he said, you know, a lot of times when we made misses in recruiting, it was going for the guy that we felt like, hey, this this guy is is a good football player, but maybe he doesn't have the traits. Maybe he's a linebacker that runs four eight, you know, and we think, okay, you know, he, he's a good football player, he'll figure it out. And he was saying that he wished they would have bet more on the linebacker who runs four five, even if he doesn't know what he's doing yet. And I think you know, using that as, as a seg in and, and, you know, going away from Kansas before, you know, I, I get beat up for this on the K-State podcast. <laughs> um, this is a very trait-heavy class, wouldn't you agree? I mean, oh, yeah. You, yeah. you look at a guy like Devontae Pritchard can really run for the position. You know, when we saw him as a junior, he was a lot more raw and was a lot more tentative, I think, in the game that we saw him. And, and you can see, no question, like this is a Big 12 linebacker prospect based on the athleticism and, and the things that he had, but he wasn't quite there yet. And he looked better as a senior. But again, a very traitsy guy who's best football is ahead of him. I think when you look at, at you know, Jarrell Jones is a guy whose best football is probably ahead of him. And he's got the traits that you would want. I mean, he's 5'11". You know, he's got decent length, too. I mean, nobody talks yeah, about that yeah. because of the speed. Um, but ran in the four threes and we saw him. He was so impressive with the 40 time, Ryan, that people – you know, don't mention he had a 40 and a half inch vertical at that same time. <laughs> That's right. Like, like, That's right. What, like, what does that say that, that you, you know, just pop off a 40 inch vertical and nobody talks about it. I mean, that's, that's the kind of athlete that, that he is. I think that, you know, Marvin Martin is a guy that can play several different spots in the secondary might even play early. I mean, depending on, on what happens at Nickelback, right. Sure. It, it sure. State and, and everything. And, you know, RJ Garcia, I feel like Satulzi guy, Gavin, the reason Gavin Hazelhorse is so high in the rankings is our guys flat out, our national guys flat out looked at him, looked at the tapes, looked at everything and said, in four years, when this guy's at the NFL scouting combine, 
his stock is only going to go up because whenever this guy tests in front of somebody, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to absolutely love him. I think Ozzy Hoffler is a guy, you know, I don't know what his 40 time is, but he is fast on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not only does he run around guys, but he's got closing speed as well. And, and, you know, it's hard to tell what his technique is on tape because he doesn't have to use it that much. And then, you know, you look at, at a guy like Austin Weiner that I think you and I were significantly higher on Austin Weiner probably than the general consensus. And, 100%. And, yeah. and more than our national guys, you know, who maybe didn't get a chance to see him in person. And that's not a knock on those guys. But I think you look at him, you look at the frame, you see the length, you look at him at tight end and the way that he runs and moves. He is more fluid as a bend and run athlete than the Mason Richmond kid that, that Iowa was so excited about mm-hmm. in last year's class. He's more of a tight end, you know, fluid type athlete, I feel like, than, than Richmond was. And Richmond was a little bit bigger, but I think when you're projecting guys forward and, and saying, okay, you know, based on Austin's dad, for one, you know, you have a, have a, have a pretty good, uh, pretty good idea there, but this is not a kid who's going to be 240 pounds forever, you know, and he's going to come out on the other side being 290 or 300 pounds. And at that point, you know, you're talking about a guy with, with his feet, with his, you know, athleticism and speed and, and yet when you look at, at Austin, and this is one of the things that kind of cracks me up, you know, about K-State's class, Ryan, and out of the guys that – the 14 guys that K-State announced on scholarship, he's ranked the lowest in the 24-7 sports composite. And yeah. And that and that's industry generated. I don't think a lot of people realize like that is the major recruiting sites altogether. Like the top two, four, seven, and everything. That's our ranking. That's how we see these guys. And then you can compare it against the composite, which is sort of the industry consensus for what how they see these players. And the industry consensus was that Austin was the lowest ranked uh, out of this Kansas State class. And yet you look at him in person as both you and I did. And I think you see a guy that has a pretty significant amount of upside and ceiling that, you know, he could come out on the other side and be a potential NFL player if he fills out and things go correctly. Yeah. I mean, you don't see guys that are six, seven that move the way that he does so fluidly. And yet even at 240 pounds, um, when, when he gets locked in on a blocking assignment, it's game over. So Love, love, love Austin Weiner. Well, real quick, Kevin, before we kind of hit a break, let's try and pick off a handful of questions that we received from some subscribers over at Wabash Station. Uh, The first comes from Wagcat, and maybe we touched on it uh, here in in that last portion, maybe not. Um, He says, I know we like to focus on who the biggest surprises will be, but can you name a few recruits um, where you might have concerns about how well they'll fit at the Power 5 level um, from the standpoint of, of K-State signees, I guess I'll lead things off. Um, it's not, again, whether he fits or not, but where Gavin Hazelhorst winds up positionally. Um, and then I, I will stick probably with Darrell Jones for me. Um, and maybe I'm getting too caught up in trying to place him, whereas you said, you know, just look at the tools and, and figure it out because clearly he can play. Um, so that's not really knocking Durrell. It's just, again, kind of a concern of, of where he plays and, and how long it takes him to really learn the fundamentals that Van Malone is going to teach him at cornerback. Yeah, I, I would also go with Durrell and not, again, not an insult on the kid, but I think that when you saw a lot of the teams that the field Kinley played against, and we saw him against Fort Scott, you know, Fort Scott's going to run the ball 65 sure. times. And so when, when you see Darrell Jones out there, you didn't see him very often in a situation where he was tested by a division one caliber quarterback throwing to a division one caliber wide receiver. And obviously that's all that he's going to be facing from, from here on out. And, you know, when we had a chance to see him at, at the Kansas city area showcase, and I know Ryan, you saw more of him there than I did. Yeah. You know, 
there were some struggles there going up against, you know, some of Kansas City's better wide receivers and things like that. And it's not it's not that I don't doubt the gifts because, like I said, he's got length, he's athletic, he's all get out. You know, it, it's just a question of how quickly does he pick up those things and, and and whether he can go ahead and do that. And, you know, if that doesn't work, you know, maybe you just say, you know what, this guy can run really fast in a in a straight line. Let's let's toss him over to wide receiver. But I do have some of those some of those concerns there a little bit. The other one would probably be, and I know he's one of the the lower rated guys in K State's class, but you know, Devon Weathers is a heck of a player. He really is. Uh, but at the same time, I have some of the same concerns you do in that not not will this guy be able to play at K-State, but does he ever become more than a rotational back? You know, Mm -hmm. does he become Mm -hmm. somebody that K-State, you know, feels good? It's, you know, third and three in a big game with with four minutes left. Is Devin Weathers the guy? Does he get to be the guy where they say, you know what, you know, it's on your shoulders, go get us these three yards. I I don't know the answer to that. You know, there's, there's a chance that he winds up being that guy. I tend to think, you know, based over the last few classes and and even before, you know, accounting for Deuce Vaughn being what he, you know, was and is, you know, I tend to think K-State has recruited some guys maybe with a little more ability than Weathers who haven't panned out yet. And so yeah. that, you know, that – and that makes me me pause a little bit because I say – I look at it and I say, well, if if this guy is maybe bigger or faster or whatever or has these traits or or I think he might just flat be better than Devron Weathers and he's not making it, you know, is Devron going to make it? And that's, that's kind of my question there. I, I think that there's a good chance he joins the rotation at running back. And, and the good thing about him is – you know, as an athlete, he if he doesn't work out there, you know, there are other spots you can try him. But I do wonder a little bit, you know, what the upside is there for, for him at running back as opposed to some of these other guys that, that kind of do have that high ceiling at their respective positions. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. With When I heard the news from our Adam Suderman when he talked to Devon before signing day that they were exclusively talking to him about playing running back, um, I – it, it was a good move because I didn't like the idea that K-State had originally of putting him at a cornerback, but yep. it was also a bad move because I, I'm, I'm not that far off of thinking that maybe his best days could be as a safety. Uh, uh, I'm right there with you. <laughs> I, I, think, I think that could be where he winds up uh, eventually. That could be his spot. So we'll just have to see. Last but not least, again, uh, heading towards a break, but I want to squeeze in um, – the, the topic of the transfer portal was obviously heavy in our questions. Um, here were two from Wildcat Pilot 88 and Contra, Contra Cat, excuse me, that I'm going to throw your way. Wildcat Pilot 88 asks, how might an inflated transfer portal affect the high school class of 2021, the, the guys that haven't signed yet, and the upcoming class of 2022? And on top of that, Contra Cat wants to know, Overall, in college football, in generally speaking, what programs care the least about the portal, and who seems to care the most, and maybe needs the portal the most? Oh wow, that's there are a lot of questions in there, <laughs> um, and, and they don't all necessarily have uh, have easy answers. But I, I think the main impact you're going to see from the transfer portal is not as much on 2021. I mean, I realize that. You know, yeah, you have to have a few spots left to to be able to offer those guys. But I I tend to think in general, 2022 classes, I think, across the board are going to be significantly smaller, Ryan. Like, I don't think that you're going to see a lot of teams – taking 25-man recruiting classes. And, and some of that is because, you know, seniors returning to schools, you know, are, are going to be there and, you know, and taking an extra year, which maybe, you know, pushes guys into red shirts and extends things there. You know, you have all the transfer portal entries. You know, the <laughs> the most obvious school that could use the transfer portal is Kansas because, you know, you you need more Division One talent there. Although sure. I don't know that they have the, the scholarships there. Uh, it seems like 
you know, to me, and maybe this is maybe this is wrong, but it seems like the academic schools, the the schools that really pride themselves on academics, don't necessarily get into the transfer portal as as much. I mean, you don't usually hear. I don't think about you know, oh man, Stanford is just going to pound the transfer portal this year. Um, but I, I also think that it's it gets really interesting with the number of transfers that you see in there and that there was one school i know that uh was saying hey we're we're only going to take a transfer guy if he's a starting offensive lineman and has three years of eligibility left a division one starting offensive lineman and i think most cycles ryan you would say okay that guy's not in the portal yeah yeah (laughs) because if he started as a freshman you know that that's just that that guy is going to stay at his school he's, and he's yet, not leaving yeah yeah he's not leaving it and the coaches are probably you know putting a lock on his car so he can't go anywhere <laughs> but with the explosion of the transfer portal with the eligibility years forgiveness all of a sudden that includes sophomores now as well you know because a guy who is a sophomore starter this year you know, if he decides he wants to go somewhere else, he's still a sophomore next year. And so, you know, I think that there are more guys that sort of fit what teams want, even when they're being hyper-specific. And so I do think that teams are going to to make use of this. And I, I think you'll see K-State, don't you, Ryan? Take, take advantage of this, even if it's not, say, taking seven guys. But I think that you can see K-State being very proactive and, and finding a few guys that they feel like can fill a hole or two. 100%. I think that K-State will target, you know, a tight end um, in the portal specifically for this upcoming class. I think that's an area that they'd like to replace a guy like Briley Moore with someone that could similar be similar to Briley Moore right away. You know, I think safety is another spot that, uh, you know, the depth was really hit hard by transfer, port, transfer portal departures um, that maybe they'll look, they'll go, go look there. And I still think that they're not opposed to bringing a true offensive tackle in to give, you know, Carver Willis a little bit more time to develop, to give Weiner and Langang a little bit more time to develop and push Katori Leviston and, and Christian Duffy a little bit more and, and maybe a wide receiver as well. Um, those are kind of the four positions right now that I would think, um, aside from maybe defensive tackle, that I think K-State will focus with, with the portal. And as we segue into a break and, and kind of head towards our second part of the podcast, which does focus on the 2022 class in Kansas, um, Kevin mentioned the transfer portal effect is going to be huge on 2022. If you don't believe what Kevin just said, take it from K-State's director of recruiting, Taylor Bratt, um, who tweeted out this on Friday. I worry about the 2022 class with everyone given kind of a, a free go of, of it again. He says a junior is going to be a junior again, and next year we will have to have our scholarship numbers back to 85 and still sign a class in 2022. So it is definitely – on the minds of the guys in Manhattan. Well, with that, we will take a quick break. And on the other side, we've got a couple more of your questions to answer. And we will preview what will be a loaded 2022 class in the state of Kansas. Hang tight. The PowerCat Podcast will be right back. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We now send it back to the PowerCat podcast. Welcome back to part two of this uh, special recruiting heavy kind of post-signing day edition of the PowerCat podcast sources podcast. Once again, I am Ryan Wallace joined by Kevin Flaherty and Kevin, uh, let's Let's get right to what will be one of the most hotly debated uh, classes that I can remember in uh, the 2022 uh, Sunflower State rankings. Um, it's about that time that we kind of start to think about 2022. I hate to do it when there's still technically another signing day to come, but um, whether it's KU, K-State, it just seems like, I think, what is it, the industry standard right now, like 80%? Uh, that sign in December. So, I mean, at this point, you're just kind of filling holes. So let's go ahead and and talk about the state of Kansas, because I know on the message boards at GoPowerCat, everybody wants to know not only just the order that this class could fall in from a ranking standpoint, um, but just how deep it will be. Uh, You look at right now, uh, the top uh, 24-7 for 2022 and again folks this is still very much in flux because it's only a top nine now and as you'll hear from Kevin and I coming up it's a lot deeper than that but as we stand here today Desan McCullough the Ohio State commit number one Jalen Marshall at two from St. Thomas Aquinas Caden Crawford at three Jaron Canick at four and Gavin Myers at five those are two Hayes products and right outside of that Nick Herzog Landon Dean Tyson Struber Sterling Lockett um, Kevin, let's start by just the overview of this class. Agree or disagree that this is going to be the deepest class in recent memory? I mean, if you can think of a year as far as depth that this compares to, hit me. But I, I really do think, especially in the top 10, but maybe even uh, further outside of that, deepest class I can recall in many, many years. Well, Ryan, you know, we obviously have our, our spreadsheet, you know, where where we try to, to list guys out early and say, hey, you know, these guys are potential Division One guys, and not all of them will wind up there. But I think we're over 35 now, you know, <laughs> and, and at this time of year, to be that high, you know, we haven't even found the guy that, you know, was six two as a junior and is, you know, going to grow two inches, or the guy who puts on twenty pounds, or the guy that surprises everybody, you know, coming into a combine or, or whatever. I mean, these are the guys that we know about. Like at this point, uh, with their with their junior seasons just ending, and, and we're we're already at, at that point. And, and it's funny because. I think it's tough to figure a, a top 10 for this class because of how deep it is. I think it's darn near impossible to figure a top five with how you know good the class is. But I think the thing that, that stands out even more than that, because I think the 2023 class could be the most special that Kansas has had at the top of the class that it's had in a while. I think where 2022 stands out is – there may be 25 or 30 kids in the state that are legitimately division one prospects next year. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at, it it will not shock me if the vast majority of the top 10 are guys that have at least five power five offers individually. You know, I mean, it will be surprising if any of the top 10 do not land at power five schools, regardless of what the school is. Um, And when you think about, the order, that's when things get really chaotic. I mean, I was talking earlier in the high school season um, with a friend of ours, you know, counterpart in the recruiting industry, uh, well, formerly, but still obviously uh, knows the pulse of, of Kansas recruiting as well as anybody, Jeremy Crabtree. And I was talking to him about how much you and I have struggled basically with who comes after Desan McCullough. Because regardless of what you think of Desan McCullough, which I will leave off this podcast, the two to 10 could be anybody. 
I mean, literally anybody. I, I think you could make a case anyway that Tyson Schrober could be too. I mean, it's, it's a little wild. It's maybe a little bit further out there since he's eight man or a guy like Landon Dean that we're high on from Frontenac that's a little bit smaller classification. But again, I don't, I wouldn't sit here and immediately cut you off if you said something like that. So two to 10 is wild. Is there, if you, if, to put you on the spot right now, aside from Desan McCullough, is there a player or two that maybe most excites you or that you are most confident in their ability to um, develop and carry maybe the strongest career through, through college? You know, it's funny because, you know, the guy who's number seven right now in, you know, our rankings is Landon Dean and a coaching friend that you and I both share, you know, has said that of Dean, he he said, that's an Oklahoma offensive tackle. Like that kid will be, you know, an Oklahoma level offensive tackle and he's not in the top five. And, and, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't be, I'm not saying that he isn't actually, but that's, that's how deep this group is. You know, it's Jalen Marshall. We currently have it at number two and, and his ability, I think excites you. Wouldn't you say like, yes, I, I think that when you're looking at the highest ceiling prospects, Jalen Marshall is probably up there, you know, if not as the number two guy to, to Desan, you know, he's, he's in that conversation because his ceiling is, is so high. I, I think that when you look at, you know, kind of where they're at, you know, combining ceiling and where they're at actually, Nick Herzog is a guy that I love. You know, I, I think that Nick Herzog is a big-time offensive tackle. I like the athleticism. I like the feet. I like the frame. You know, I, I think that he's probably a safer bet than Jalen Marshall to get to his ceiling. And, and I think that his ceiling is still relatively high. And the other guy that, that I really like and I would probably have higher than, than maybe even some other people – um, it is is Jaron Canick because I, I think that with the size that he brings and, and it, you know, based on recent videos and everything, when we saw him, he measured 197 at the Sharp Performance Combine. He looks about 210 now, and he was a guy that, you know, ran I think what was it 441 I think at the Sharp Combine yeah, yeah. and. You know, he he stands out on tape. He runs by the guys he doesn't run over. And, and that latter part is probably the most important part of it because he is just a devastating blocker at this point. And so the thing that's tough with Jaron, I think, is that I think that Jaron will probably outgrow the wide receiver position. I think that he's somebody that if he grows another inch or so, then he's somebody that, you know, has a chance to be that that 6'3", 235, you know, H-back. But he's going to be a 6'3", 235-pound H-back that has the strength and power to put guys on their backs and yet also have the speed to just run right by them. And, and so he's, he's a guy that based on his tape and the athletic profile and, you know, kind of where I think we see his body going at this point, I realize H-back, it, it's not as exciting as saying, oh, you've, you've got a six-foot-five defensive end over here or, you know, or, or this guy's a quarterback or whatever. But I think that his skill set at that position would be so unique that he he's a guy that I would have in that top three or four myself. Yeah. I, you took the two guys that I think <laughs> seem to stand out for me as well. Canick is a guy that I'm uh, like you really high on. I'm glad we have him at, at four. I know composite wise, he other uh, sites have him a little bit lower. I, I just think um, his versatility, regardless of where he plays he has shown on film that he can be a difference maker on both sides. And Nick Herzog is, a, is he's like you said, I think that was a, a great way to describe Nick Herzog is I think he probably is one of the safest bets of this group. Um, I, I think Jalen Marshall is up there as far as a safe bet. And I think Caden Crawford is a pretty safe bet from a standpoint of all three of those guys could come in and do something right away at their positions, not necessarily, you know, be freshman American types, but I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get when they come in. And so um, 
that that's going to be interesting. And then, you know, there are so many other names and that kind of leads me to one of our questions out there from Z train 11, any sleepers in the Kansas 2022 class that we should be on the lookout for. I mean, these are the, I'm thinking of names that aren't even in the top 10, but I, you know, they're not talked about because the top 10 is so strong or top nine is so strong. Um, when you factor in a guy like Makai Miller, but you know, Equantes Love is out there. Henry Martin is out there. Um, you know, the, uh, the offensive lineman at, at Derby, Alex Key, Alex Key yeah. is, is out there. Um, there are a lot of guys, Gavin Bell at, at El Dorado. So um, are there any sleepers out there for you and, and maybe some other guys that we didn't touch on in the top 10 that um, have that ability to potentially land at a KU or K-State? You know, Noah Smith's another one that mm-hmm. I feel like in any other class, you know, you would be you would be talking about him a little bit more. Um, a guy who's not in the top ten, amazingly to me, and yet has has really good ability and a K State offer is Silas Etter. You know how how in the world does that guy not have? You know. Is he not a top? I think that shows the depth mm-hmm, uh, of mm-hmm. this group. And, you know, there's there's another Deneen coming out. I mean, there's, <laughs> you know, and, and so it's just, it's funny. There's so many, you know, of these guys that I feel like you can throw a rocket and kind of hit hit a sleeper. I don't think, did we talk about Caden Barber at Pittsburgh? Didn't talk about Caden Barber. Didn't talk about Henry Martin. Uh, uh, Colin <laughs> Williams at Niege. Yeah. I mean, there, there, there are guys just, just all over the place. You know, it, it, it's funny too. You know, so Caden Crawford is number three in our rankings, and he may wind up dropping a little bit. I don't know about in our rankings, but I mean composite because I think there are guys that people get more excited about. But Ryan, do you get a little bit of Tanner Wood from him? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and Tanner I, Wood was top of his class, so I think that I, I get a lot of Tanner Wood when when I see Caden Crawford. You know, both of them were quarterbacks at the high school level. You know, I think they're similar from a frame standpoint, probably similar, fairly similar from an athleticism standpoint. And like I said, like Tanner Wood was the number one guy in his class in the state. So, you know, that, that kind of gives you a little bit of an idea, you know, what's going on at the, at the top of this and how tough it is to, how, how tough it is to find these guys, you know, my, my buddy JP rock, who runs a lot of, uh, a lot of the combines and stuff in the state of Missouri, I guess they had Caden Crawford show up there this year and they got him in the low four sevens, you know, as a guy who's, who's two thirty five, two forty, And so when you're, you know, when you're that kind of, of athlete at that size and you're the football player, the Caden is and, and everything, I mean, to, for him, it's almost like he's a sleeper in, in position to where he could eventually end up in this class. And keep in mind, too, when we talk about 2022 locally, there's also a heavy amount of offers going out on the Kansas City, Missouri side from sure. Kansas State. You know, you think about a guy like Jason Exix at Winnetonka, Moutier Rubin at uh, Park Hill South, Armand Mimbo at, at uh, Lee Summit North is out there, Carson Willich, um, Big Ike Izogu, uh, both of those guys from Blue Springs. Um, every single one of those guys that I named has a K-State offer already. Um, and so w- what goes back to something that we talked about before the break, Kevin, and it applies really to KU as well if, the, if they choose to go this route, is K-State loves to start from the inside out. They love to kind of see what they can get early on from the local kids and then fill gaps where they weren't able to do that locally. I really think that K-State is in a position as we sit here today – where they could have in what we anticipate being a little bit of a smaller numbers class in 2022, they might get the vast majority of their class done locally. I think, sure. they, I think they sit in a really, really good position with a, a handful of the guys that we've already talked about. Has K-State offered the Quentin Conley kid too out of Pembroke Hill? They have not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he's another one. It, it's funny because I think if you're a receivers coach, why would you leave 
the general, you know, yeah, the, the general area. I mean, if you if you feel like Canick can play wide receiver, you've got Struber there, Makai Miller, you know, you've got the different guys, Moutier, Rubin, you know, Jason Essex, you know, Quentin Conley. All these guys are, you know, within a couple hours or so of Manhattan. I mean, why why would you leave to go get a wide receiver in this class? And it's not just wide receiver that that looks like that, but it, it is a class that I think if you're looking at K-State and specifically the way that they recruit, Kansas obviously hasn't been, you know, as heavy locally, but I think you're, you're starting to see Kansas realizing the 2022 class is as stacked as it is because they've offered a bunch of guys in the Kansas City area. They've offered five or six guys out of, you know, our top 10 or so guys in the state uh, as well. And so I do think that there's a very real possibility, Ryan, that, if we're talking about another, say, 15-man K-State class, you know, just sort of, you know, spitballing based on the fact that these are going to be smaller classes probably, K-State could wind up with, what, eight or ten of those guys yep. being yep. locally at, at least? I mean, yep. and they don't have to go anywhere else. If they can if they can stay in state and get Nick Herzog and Landon Dean as their offensive tackles, boom, you're – I mean, that's that's it. If you can stay in state and get, you know, a couple of those wide receivers, you're good there. Caden Crawford is your defensive end. Bam, you're you're good. I mean, it, and it's like that all, all over the place. I mean, if you're looking at an interior lineman, you can go to Derby and get Alex Key and get a guy that I think is probably going to be a Big 12 lineman. So, yeah, I, I do think that this year, maybe more than any that I can remember, K-State or KU have the chance to build the majority of their class from local kids, and I can't remember ever seeing that. And that means that on top of all the names that we've already told you about, um, it could be a big year for other teams to come in. You know, I'm thinking about the MAC. Um, I'm thinking about, you know, Conference USA, the AAC that could come in and get some guys that I think K-State would normally and KU love to try and get as walk-ons. But to just be honest with you, they're probably better than, than walk-ons. Um, you know, Jordan Brown, Tyler Claiborne, um, those are two really gifted receivers that I think warrant scholarship offers from at some level. You know, Brand and I both like Colin McCartney at Frontenac is is kind yep. of a, a frame athlete who could be like a box safety or, or sure. whatever at the next sure. level. And there are guys like that all over the place. Yeah, it's it's wild. Zach Sizemore, Brant Cox out at Salina South. Um, sure. I mean, there are a bunch of guys that just yeah. you know, jump you out to you. The defensive tackle at Free State is Newhouse. Ty Newhouse. Yeah, he's he's another one that you look at and you say, you know, maybe in previous years this kid, you know, winds up at, at KU or K-State as a preferred walk-on. And, and while the class is going to be smaller across the board, I think all over the place, I also think that this class is deep enough that, you know, if you're – you know, a, a Mac school or, or your Tulane or, or whoever, you know, you feel like you can poke around and get somebody that, that is better than that caliber. And some of these guys are, are going to wind up being invited walk-ons because of the smaller classes. And so you're going to wind up getting somebody like, uh, say, Noah Palmer at Olathe North, you know, as an invited walk-on or, or whatever. And, and he's probably going to be a little bit better than what you typically get exactly. as an invited walk-on. That's what I was going to ask you about was, is do you see K-State among many other schools, but particularly K-State because of just how deep this in-state pool is, do you feel like they're going to have to get maybe a little crafty in 2022 um, to convince a Noah Palmer or Jacob Parrish, for instance, at, at Olathe North to walk on? Um, kids that, like you said, are probably better than what you would normally get as walk-ons and probably will be poached by some of those, um, you know, group of five programs. I mean, you know, is, this I, where, I really, is this where something like a blue shirt, I guess, comes in handy? You just said the magic word, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it's funny because I think both you and I loved what K-State did with the blue shirt in this mm -hmm. class. You know, they were able to find some guys that, that were basically scholarship players and get them to be scholarship players without getting them, you know, to count on the scholarship roles, uh, so to speak. And so to, to do that and be able to 
and, and be able to get players of that caliber, they might have to pull out some blue shirts to get some of these guys in that, that maybe they feel like, hey, this is a guy that, you know, maybe normally we would have been able to talk into this, but, you know, we're we're going to go ahead and and have to offer a little something extra to, to get these guys in here, you know, and it's uh, – the thing that'll be interesting to me, Ryan, and I don't know how you feel about this, this class has a lot of athletes to it, but I think it also has a lot of big-bodied kids. Yes. And, and so when you look at the way K-State and to a lesser extent Kansas, but KU has still had some success with this, they've gotten some of those guys into their programs over the years. The guy who's maybe 6'3", 285, and they get him to come in you know, as a walk-on, and they've grown him, and they've basically been scholarship players by the time they finished up this class is full of those guys if you're looking for somebody who is six foot three plus 265 plus there are a lot of those guys in the state of kansas this year yeah i mean we talked about in 2021 uh you know chris dawson will have some fun getting some of those guys ready uh if they land really a whole host of these guys from 2022 um, it'll be more about maintaining, maybe even kind sure. of thinning, thinning out and trimming some of those guys down um, as opposed to bulking up. Uh, I know you've got to run. You're a busy man. But for the fans out there that are maybe curious when rankings might be updated for 2022, um, do you have any, any insight into when the guys up the ladder might get around to um, kind of finalizing at least that first stage of 2022 rankings? You know, I, I think there, you know, there's usually a little bit of a deep breath right after early signing period. And then I, you know, it, it seems like there is some work done in January on those rankings, because let's be honest, you know, once you hit signing day in February, the very next day, you're looking to see who your team has a chance yep. to get for that next class. And so I do think that those will be updated sometime in the, in the next month or two. I think that you'll start to see, you know, really with the depth of this Kansas class, you'll start to see guys who haven't been rated yet, you know, maybe even looked at more than the guys who have been looked at it and rated so far. So if you're looking at, you know, Landon Dean to make a big move, I don't know that this is going to be that ranking session for that to happen. But if you're looking for Alex Key to get rated, period, you know, this is probably going to be uh, about when you would start to start to see that stuff. And, and it's nice too. And, and, you know, I know you agree with me, Ryan, you know, our national guys, they're, they're pretty willing to, to pick up the phone and talk about a lot of these guys. And so it's, it's nice that, that these guys are, are getting more exposure and everything. And uh, I think that there's a, uh, there's a very real chance that the 2022 winds up being something special. Yep. You will not see this group limited to a top 10. Uh, give it a couple <laughs> yeah. more weeks. And I think the guys at 24 seven, us included, will have this to a top 15 or a top 20. So uh, that will wrap up uh, this special edition of the sources podcast. Kevin uh, can't thank you enough. And um, hopefully, like I said, if, if you're not following him already, when it comes to high school football and in the state of Kansas and what K-State and KU are doing, give him a follow right now. What's the handle, Kevin? Uh, handle is at kflaherty247. There you go. And, of course, college basketball stuff as well. But, but, but for the, the purposes of this podcast, <laughs> he's a football man. So, once again, thank you for tuning in to the PowerCat Podcast Sources Edition uh, post-early signing day. More coverage to come on the 24-7 Sports Network at gopowercat.com. PowerCat Podcast, all rights reserved, gopowercat.com and Spirit Street Publishing.